want the Big Ten Championship. And we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. Post-NFL Draft, I am Nick Baumgartner, of course, along with Austin Meek. We are separate quarantine, or separately quarantining, I guess we should, we should call that here in Ann Arbor. Austin, how are we doing? Nick, I'm doing good. Um, we were just talking before we started rolling here uh, about, you know, I, I see people talking about the, the TV shows and all, you know, all the stuff on Netflix yeah. that they're catching up with uh, during the quarantine. And it's like, I, I don't think that outside of the NFL Draft and the Jordan documentary, which is like... Yep. The one time that the TV is off limits to the rest of the family, like most of what I've been watching is like animated, uh, animated movies and nature documentaries. So I, I have not, uh, I have not been able yeah. to catch up on all the back uh, backlog. Maybe some, uh, yeah, but, <laughs> maybe some Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've not been, uh, I've not been binging anything uh, on Netflix, but I, I have to say, uh, between the draft last week and, and the Jordan documentary was kind of nice to have like a little bit of, you know, it, it sort of felt like normal sports again, even though it was, you know, it's different. It's not, it's not the same, but it felt a yeah. little more normal last week. It did the draft for sure. The draft was a lot of fun. Um, the Jordan thing was a lot of fun too. And in fact, actually, I think I, I haven't had time, but I ruined it for myself. I think in some ways, cause we got our hands on uh, <laughs> an advanced copy. <laughs> so I watched, I watched like, uh, I watched last week or this past Sunday's last week, but I couldn't get much further than that. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, th- that's been a lot of fun, and the draft was—I thought the draft was really cool. I mean, just to see, uh, especially the first round, you know, right where there was all these random pictures. You know, you'd like, oh, there's Bill Belichick sitting at what looks to be like it looks like he just got done fishing or something, and now he's sitting at his desk, you know, drafting a team or whatever. Like all that stuff was pretty neat. Um, but yeah, it did. I mean, it, it didn't take much for the draft, right, to, to kind of lose yourself in it. You know, after a couple hours, you were like, oh, yeah. Uh, after after it ended, you were like, oh, yeah, we're still stuck inside. Yeah. But like, it was a good distraction. It was a good something anyway, uh, something that we haven't had. Yeah, I have to I have to tip my cap uh, to the NFL because I think a lot of us expected that to be kind of a fiasco. Uh, you know, there was certainly, a, oh, yeah. you know, a, an aspect of curiosity to turn into tune in to see like what kind of technological meltdowns would happen. Uh, but they really, you know, they pulled it off. It, it, it went pretty smoothly. Uh, it, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good programming. You know, it's, it certainly was different. Oh, yeah. It's not what we're used to seeing from the draft. Uh, but yeah. I, I liked it. I, I have to, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> slow to uh, tip my cap to Roger Goodell <laughs> typically, but I, I thought he did a nice <laughs> job with it. The NFL, I mean, this, as we all know, like this, this forced the NFL to sort of let its guard down, you know, really for the first time in, I can't even remember how long and and not take itself as serious Mm -hmm. Uh, because they didn't have a choice, right? Because there was like, you know, they said 56 times in the first 20 minutes on Thursday, you know, we're going to have technical issues, folks. So just, and and we're all like, guys, we don't care. (laughs) Like, it's just (laughs) like, we don't care if you have technical issues, like, we're just here to watch it. Whatever happens, happens. We all understand. And, like, they really didn't have any that were so bad that I was like, whoa, what just happened there? I mean, it wasn't anything that was... I mean, I think that everybody involved with that obviously did a terrific job. And I'm sure that was... I mean, there was stuff that went into the behind-the-scenes nationally. I can't even imagine. Uh, Chris Burke uh, today wrote a story about the 
Lions Winnebago that was the IT <laughs> yeah, guy was had uh, parked, which was amazing, that had parked out in front of uh, Bob Quinn's house. But no, I mean, you know, seeing all the guys with their kids, um, you know, on day one, some of those shots felt a little weird to me. I was like, are they like required to have their kids stand there? And then as time <laughs> kind of went on, I'm like, oh no, like they seem to be enjoying it. And then, you know, Saturday, like Friday and Saturday too, you could see a lot of them having a lot more fun with it too. So that was all, that that all seemed really genuine and it was just different, you know, to see John Harbaugh pumping his fist on a couch, you know, or whatever it might have been. It was, it was really cool. I don't know if they'll ever go back to that, but I think a case could be made that, you know, stuff like that is, is something that they probably shouldn't forget about as they go forward here with, you know, programming and things of that nature because, I mean, I think everybody probably enjoyed a lot of that stuff. Yeah, you nailed it. Everything the NFL does, it, it takes it so takes itself so seriously it it, Mm -hmm. often it feels overdone uh you know the whole idea that you know these guys basically you know live in the draft room 24 hours a day to get ready for the draft you know everything that they're doing is like this you know super intense super secret you know level of preparation for this draft seeing them just like normal people sitting in front of their computers like you know you and your buddies doing a fantasy draft like it, it, oh, yeah. it felt so much more relatable right. than anything the NFL yeah. has ever done, which I'm sure you ever. know. I'm sure it, it's never going to be that way again. They're they're going to go back to no. you know, doing the the draft in uh, Las Vegas with the Bellagio fountain in the background, yeah. uh, and, the, and the guys rolling up on the boat <laughs> to the stage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for this year, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I thought, and it was a good draft for for Michigan. Uh, 10 Michigan players selected. Cesar Ruiz yep. going in the first round to the Saints. Josh Uche in the second round to the Patriots. Uh, only LSU had more draft picks than Michigan. Michigan and Ohio State both with 10 guys drafted this week. Nick, what were your initial thoughts on how the draft played out for the Michigan guys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think first things first, we can talk about the, the stat you just mentioned there, because that's the one, you know, that uh, a lot of folks have wanted to talk about, uh, the 10 picks. You know, they had 10 picks, uh, I believe it was five in the sixth round, mm-hmm. or was it, I think that was what it yeah. was, five in the sixth round. Um, one in the first round was Caesar, and then one on day two with uh, with uh, Uche, and then everybody else was on day three. So eight day three picks, is that right? I mean, yep. I'm doing my eight out of the three, 10, yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. eight, eight. Eight day three picks, ten picks, and you know it's interesting because I think it says a couple different things. You know, number one, um, you know, like we talked about so many times during the season and even at the end of the year, you know, when when you look at the eight and five record, even with the schedule Michigan faced, they underachieved. I mean, there, there's no other way to look at that when the season ended, and you know, really even into October, you knew that Michigan had. You know, I don't know if I would have said I thought they had ten picks, but I knew they would have had at least ten. You know, somewhere, somewhere close to that invited to the combine. Uh, I figured they would have had set. You know, somewhere like six or seven. Uh, you know, you know, somewhere something like that. So I, you looked at it the season. You said, okay, well, they have enough guys to be better than what they were. But if you really break it all down, you know, what Ohio State did was, you know, they had four or five guys go in the first round. And so that ultimately becomes the difference where it's, you know, Michigan's got 10 draft picks. That obviously means they have players. It also means they're, they're uh, developing players because, you know, I broke, it, I broke it down by recruiting star. Also, and I think it was one five-star, two four-stars, uh, and everybody else was a three-star or, or Jordan Glasgow who wasn't ranked at all. Hmm. So, you know, it was kind of across the board. I think the average composite rating was – I can pull up the tweet here in a second, but it was like in the 500s. So I think it says a few things. One – 
they are developing talent. You know, Josh Metellus was a nothing star recruit from South Florida who only got a scholarship offer really because Devin Bush was his teammate. And he and he's drafted. Jordan Glasgow, we know his story. Michael Dano was a grad transfer. They helped him, uh, you know, they helped him elevate into, you know, the, the kind of prospect that he, he became his senior year. That worked out really well for him, um, you know, across the board. And there are hiccups with that at the same time. Because for every time you look at a guy like uh, Jordan Glasgow and Josh Metellus and John Runyon, there's Donovan Peoples-Jones and Shea Patterson. And Donovan fell to the sixth round and Shea didn't get drafted. And those are five-star prospects. Of course, Shea wasn't there the whole time. Donovan was so it's it, it was really strange um, and different, but almost expected, and it, it kind of goes into further proving that Michigan's program, you know, the issues facing Michigan's program are so nuanced, like maybe more than anybody else in the country. They have a lot going on there, and some of it's really good, some of it is left leaves people wanting more, and I, all of it seems to be fair on some level, you know, critiques, compliments, whatever. I mean, there's room for all of it when you look at this and when you look at all, you know, kind of laid out like that. Yeah, it is complicated because on the one hand, you, you want to get guys drafted. If if Michigan had oh, yeah. gone through the draft and had two guys drafted, uh, nobody that wouldn't be a good sign. Nobody would be happy about no. that. No. Uh, so you're getting no. 10 guys drafted, That that's a good thing. But you're right, it does point to the fact that this team had the talent to be better. Nine and four on a team with 10 guys who were going to get drafted what wasn't yeah. good enough. And I, I think you can look at Michigan's four losses and, and really split them in half. You know, the, the Wisconsin and the Penn State losses, Penn State and Wisconsin had nine guys drafted total. So Michigan had more draft yeah. picks uh, than those two teams combined. So those are two games, you know, at minimum, you ought to win one of them, right? Uh, so losing to right. both of those teams, you know, those are really the, the two losses you look at and say uh, Michigan should have been able to win those games. The other two yes. losses, Alabama and Ohio State, uh, you mentioned it. Ohio State had 10 guys drafted, but seven of those guys went in the first three rounds. So their, their mm-hmm. group was very much front-loaded. And the same with Alabama. Alabama had nine guys drafted, uh, but four, four of those guys went in the top 15. So if you talk about you know where that gap is, and we talk about the talent gap with Ohio State all the time, uh, and it's it's real, it's there. It's not you know, yeah, they had the same number of draft picks, uh, but it's it's the real top end talent. You know, it's it's the stars yeah. that is separating Michigan right now from being in that elite group of of college football teams. Yeah, and that's the nuanced part that, that folks on Twitter sometimes lose perspective on because we see people that want to go out there and just tweet like a like a raw stat without anything, without any context. Uh, and when you when you tweet out, well, you know, they have 10 picks and they lost four games uh, and you don't look at anything else and you don't explain why any of this happened, <laughs> you know, it's going to look terrible. I mean, it looks terrible. It probably doesn't look as bad when you when you go through it. If somebody asked me the other day, like on Twitter, they were like, "Well, how do you square this then?" And I said, "Well, how do you get to nine and or have the season that they had, you know, with ten draft picks?" And my answer was pretty simple. I said, "You know, they started out the season slowly, not good at all, and they had uh, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, and Alabama on their schedule. Like they lost every one of those games, and they started out the season really slowly, really, really kind of inexcusable, I would say as well. I mean, they did not have a great start to the year." That was on them. That wasn't on anybody else. Uh, and I feel like, you know, when we looked at the season, by the time they actually kind of found themselves as a team, it was like six games were over. You know, I mean, and it was just like that that 
can't happen. And so that's a problem. But at the same time, you know, there are folks that want to say, well, they're, they're talentless. They don't have any talent. And it's like, well, that's not true either <laughs> because, right. you know, they have talent. And it's, it's one of the weirdest things because I don't know any other, I don't know of many other situations in the country uh, with, with an arch rival situation like this. Uh, where the other team, other than uh, other than what Auburn goes through, there's really nobody else to compare it to uh, because Ohio State, like you said, I mean, Urban Meyer signed picks one, two, and three, folks. He signed picks <laughs> yeah. one, two, and three. That is absurd. I don't know how else to illustrate how good of a coach he was and how well he set Ryan Day up. I mean, that is crazy. They, they had the one two and three picks signed and playing at Ohio State at one point in their career. When you look at it that way and you put them you put them side by side and say, well, it's 10 picks against 10 picks. No, I mean, that's not even close. I mean, we're really splitting hairs uh, at a really high level here. But, I mean, the difference between super, super top talent and talent in the sixth round is, I mean, it, that, that's why it's the sixth round, right? I mean, it's a different situation. So um, it's really unique, but it's. It, I thought the draft really illustrated it well. I thought it illustrated the situation Mich- Michigan's program is in very well when you break those numbers down and just kind of look at it on the sheet. Yeah, and that train at Ohio State is not slowing down. Oh, they no. have the number one yeah. class for 2021. Uh, they are going to be uh, well represented in the NFL draft uh, moving forward. Uh, yes. This was not a one-year they thing for yeah. Ohio State. And that's the challenge for Michigan is – can you get to that level? Can you get close to that level? And you know the only the only chance Michigan has to you know to compete with that to even get close is you know your your five star recruits the you know the the players like Donovan Peoples Jones yeah. those guys have to be stars and I think you know that's yeah. probably the one thing that that jumps out at you when you look at this draft. For Don, Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, to be the number one receiver in his class and, and to end up as a six-round pick, you know, for Shea Patterson to be as highly right. rated as he was as a high school player and to go undrafted, you know, th- those are the those are the ones that hurt. You know, it's it's great mm-hmm. that you can take a guy like Jordan Glasgow and turn him into a draft pick. Um, you know, it's great that you can get four guys drafted off that offensive line. That's a, you know, that's a great testament to what Ed Warner's done with that group. Uh, but when you've got a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, he, he didn't live up to, to what he could have been at Michigan. And and that really hurts. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, that's, that's the kind of balance that you're always trying to find, right? It's the, it's the guys that you sign at the top of the class and, you know, to, and to be fair, I mean, Cesar Ruiz was a top uh, 50-ish, top 70 recruit, whatever he was. I would consider him a star recruit, and he panned out. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Bredesen was a top 50 player. He panned out. Um, you know, guys like that. Some of those guys panned out. And Donovan, you know, didn't have what we would say, you know, was a bad career, I don't think. I don't think anybody would, would claim that he had a, a bad career. I think maybe you could say, certainly you could say that it didn't live up to, you know, top 10 recruit, whatever it was. Uh, when he signed, and you know, this was a crazy year for receivers. The depth in this draft was crazy deep. Um, and when you go back and look at it, you know, he doesn't stack up with the guys that he came into college football with because a lot of those guys went higher than he did. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Donovan also came in at a time when Michigan's offense was markedly different than it is today. Um, you know, they went through a heavy amount of transition in terms of. You know, it went from Pep Hamilton and Tim Drevno to just Pep Hamilton and then to Josh Gaddis. Uh, you know, there's a lot that's going on there. Um, there was a lot of change and all those types of things. But at the same time, you know, for every reason that, 
you know, probably gets put in, in, in front of a guy like that. You know, there was also stuff that, that we talked about when he was a freshman that, you know, it, there's more to it than just being a crazy athletic kid who works hard. I mean, he does work hard, but there's more, there's, there's new, again, it's nuance and it's, there's little things that were just always, and I, I think that they probably improved as time went on with a guy like Donovan, but then he would get hurt. You know, we'd see him get hurt and he'd miss time. And, you know, it was, and that was slowing things down for him. And I think there was a lot of pressure probably on that kid from the minute he walked in the door. Uh, he was a, he was a kid from Detroit coming to Michigan who was a five-star player. And everybody thought this is going to be a first round pick in three years. And he's going to be out the door. And then when he retires from football, he's going to be a doctor, <laughs> right? Like what kind of pressure, what kind of pressure <laughs> yeah, no expectations did you and there, I yeah. have when we were coming out of high school? Not even close yeah. to that. So there's a lot that goes on for a kid like that. Uh, and that's tough. But it happened. And, you know, the same thing with, with O'Shea Patterson. Uh, you know, he has to, he transfers in the middle of his career. He comes here, two different offenses again and everything else. And it it is what it is. But, I mean, you know, the draft, I think, proved a couple of things. One, you know, they have talent. They're doing a lot of things right. Um, but they're not they're not maxing out. They're not maxing out. And I think that that's, that's probably the takeaway here. Um, and it's been the takeaway, really, uh, since probably the 16 season ended. Is that it, it, the 17, 18, and 19 seasons did not feel like that any of those teams maxed out? You know, it just it didn't feel like either they didn't max out or they maxed out at the wrong time. And you know, when you go back and look at it, you know it's tough to square the talent that was on those teams with with the end results um, in a lot of ways. And that's those are fair criticisms. But you know, to just totally scream and yell and, and call them like a total failure as well. I mean, there's a lot of other things that go on with that. And I think that this draft, I hope anyway, for some people, it illustrated how how much of a powerhouse Ohio State is. I think that people really underestimated that, maybe up until this year even. Uh, I think now they're starting to get it. But, I mean, up until this year, I think people really even, even in last season, were kind of like, yeah, they're good, but not like that. And it's like, well, no, they're that's a different level because, you know, when you have that many guys up high like that, I mean, you're in Alabama's air, and that's about it. Right. Well, when we look at the landing spot for some of these guys, uh, Cesar yep. Ruiz, first player off the board for Michigan, that, that's what we expected. Uh, ended up going number 24 overall in the first round to the Saints. You know, it was an interesting pick because the Saints drafted a center in the second round last year who, who played uh, yeah. played well for them as a rookie, uh, but they clearly have placed an emphasis on their offensive line, their interior offensive line. I think Sean Payton said that they drafted Cesar Ruiz to be a starter, so uh, one way or another, they're going to find a spot for him, whether that's at center or guard. Uh, Josh Uche, uh, to the Patriots in the second round, they traded up to get him. Uh, that's that's a really interesting spot. I'm I'm yeah. really uh, I'm really intrigued to see what Bill Belichick does with Josh Uche. You know, they lost Kyle Van Noy. Uh, seems like maybe a similar player who could step into that yeah. that type of a role. Uh, who do you think? Uh, of this group from Michigan uh, has the best chance to play right away? Is it one of those first two guys, or, or is there somebody further down you think could uh, maybe step in and, and see some time as a rookie? Yeah, I got to think Bredesen um, mm-hmm. with, in Baltimore will have a chance. Marshall Yonda, I mean, obviously Yonda is a Hall of Famer. There's, <laughs> there's no right. replacing him right away. But, I mean, in terms of a body, they need somebody uh, to go in there and, and hold water. And I think Bredesen's probably, you know, experienced enough as a college player, smart enough to where he has a chance probably to to go in there and earn some time. You know, Uche, I could 1,000% see a situation where 
he is playing, you know, Chris Burke and I talked about this during the draft a little bit when we were just chatting as we were probably killing time waiting in between picks. Um, I could totally see a situation where his role with New England uh, is similar to what he had last year, where he's mm-hmm. on the field for, you know, a smaller percentage of of their snaps, but he ends up with seven sacks or something like that, you know, and he's just, he's, he's a situational rusher, uh, you know, sort of as he develops. I, I think he'll play this year or whenever this next season comes. Uh, but I don't know if it'll be the full, you know, Winovich played in a limited role a little bit for them last year too and, and made some plays, uh, but wasn't out there, I don't think, on every snap. He was a, you know, a guy who got in there in certain situations and make, made, you know, made the most of it nearly every time. Uh, I could see Uche definitely filling that role. And Caesar, um, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting one. Caesar's probably going to have to compete, but I would assume if you're a, if you're a, if you're a first-round pick, then they, they probably want you in there. So I would think those top three... Um, you know, Donovan, I mean, I, I would say, you know, going to Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland's got a ton of talent, um, you know, in that receiving group, I think, and Cleveland's got a lot of talent all over the field. I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there, at least on special teams, maybe returning kicks or something, um, you know, in Cleveland, that seems like pretty good value for them. Any receiver really past day, uh, past day two was great value. I mean, this receiver class was just crazy with, with the depth that you could get there. Uh, and the other one I'm interested in, there's two. Um, would be Runyon and Unwainu. Um because I don't know, you know, I don't know everything about the Patriots' offensive line situation. You know, I'm not sure if that's something where they're just going to stash those two guys. But you know, those two guys have played a ton of football as well, and um, you know, they've both been at a pretty good level here for the last at least two years. They both improved a ton. Um, I'd be interested to see where that where they fill out. Um, you know, moving forward here, but maybe they're stash and wait and see, guys, too. Yeah. Couple things I was surprised by in this draft. Uh, a little surprised to see Mike Dana come off the board in the fifth round. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the projections yeah. we'd seen for him was more of like an undrafted free agent or or seventh round maybe. Uh, but the Chiefs obviously saw something they liked with him. Uh, he's a guy. The you know the the book on Mike Dana was a uh, great athlete. A guy if he'd been invited to the combine probably mm-hmm. would have had a higher draft profile and maybe that's what it came down to is you know the yeah. the chiefs felt like you know this guy has had you know the, the measurables that if he'd had a chance to have the pro day or, or the combine would probably be regarded as as more of a fifth round pick uh interested yeah. to see what happens with him the other thing that surprised me a little bit uh i expected lavert hill to get drafted you know i thought he was mm. sixth seventh round potential uh he ends up going undrafted and then catches on with the chiefs as as a free agent um could be a good spot for him he he could have a chance to make that team because they're not real deep at corner but uh, i i was surprised a little bit by both of those yeah dana is i, I that was kind of cool to see because obviously i I thought he should have at least gotten a senior bowl invite. I was really kind of surprised that that didn't happen. And then usually if you get a senior bowl invite, you're probably headed to the combine as well. Um, but really cool to see because his pro day got canceled. And when the pro day got canceled for him, I remember thinking, boy, he's going to be in trouble because this is not, you know, he's a draftable prospect. I, at least I thought, mm-hmm. um, you know, but without a pro day, I thought it maybe it was going to be difficult for him, but it was kind of cool to see because, you know, really Dana, you know, could play a similar role to what, you know, Uche is going to play. I mean, he could be an edge, you know, prospect who at some point in his career, you know, can drop and cover and, and get some pass rush going as well. I mean, he's another hybrid type player. And the other two guys, you know, Levert Hill, you mentioned is one uh, being a surprise that he didn't come off the board. I mean, I think that I was a little surprised he didn't get drafted. I did think he'd be a day three guy somewhere. 
Um, and I think he'll have a chance to go in there and compete because I think Levert got signed with the Chiefs, what, 13 seconds after the draft had ended? <laughs> yeah, so I, much, yeah. I assume they were ready to roll uh-huh. with that. But the other two guys, too, to remember, Hudson, Gleek Hudson in the fifth, and then Josh Metellus, uh, I believe, went in, in the uh-huh. also the yeah. fifth. No, sixth. sixth. He went in the yeah, sixth. Yeah, the Vikings. So, yeah, so those two guys, Hudson surprised me a little bit. Uh, Metellus didn't. We'd heard enough buzz on Metellus through the process that teams really liked him. Um, you know, as a guy who could play maybe a little bit in the box and in safety and whatever you want him to do on special teams. And the same thing would be said for Hudson, uh, who could play safety, he could play in the box, and he will do anything you ask him to do on special teams. Those two guys, you know, Hudson, I think when I thought about it after he got picked, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, I probably should have I probably should have had him a little higher in my mind. I should have had him somewhere in the Metellus range because I think both those guys are guys that while Michigan fans, because I got a lot of people, I tweeted something about Mattel City and got a lot of Michigan fans who were like, he was horrible. I I, he, I remember that time he got beat against Ohio State. I'm like, okay, guys, great. You got any other horrible memories you want to... But, but the point is here is that he's a guy who, um, if you talk to him about football, he understands the game really, really well um, to a point where you know he is not the most explosive athlete. And I would say the same thing probably about Hudson. They're not... They are explosive athletes, but they're not like, whoa, you know, like that's, you know, they're not Daxton Hill, right? Um, but Metellus, especially, they, he thinks of he thinks about the game in a way that a coach would. He's super smart about it. He always was learning more about the game, and you could tell that, you know, I think he probably maxed himself out in college as a, as a college safety, but I, I think there's probably still value for a guy like that somewhere maybe in the NFL, uh, in a locker room somewhere, and the same would be for Kalik Hudson also, and probably Mike Dana. So, a lot of those guys that win at the end, you know, for Michigan are guys that, you know, are smart players who know the game and really do a great job of, um, you know, sort of dedicating themselves to everything that goes on with football, uh, stuff that you don't see sitting 20 rows up uh, in the stands and having not talked to anybody ever. And then that leave that as your only impression of a guy for the rest of his life. Uh, there's more that goes into it, of course, as we know, and those guys are uh, you know, thinking man's players for sure. And, um, you know, special teams is a huge deal in the NFL. And I think that that's something that, you know, co- the, a college fan who doesn't watch much NFL, you know, might forget that, um, you know, you hear the Patriots talk about all the time, you know, they want to get guys who can play on fourth down and they value that as a pretty big deal. I mean, they're not the only team in the NFL that thinks that way. Hudson blocked however many punts he blocked it and set a record, whatever it was. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be a guy that goes, does everything and anything they ask him to do. And I would think Metellus and Michael Dan are probably in the same boat. Yeah. So before we wrap up here, let's, let's pull out the crystal ball for a minute and, uh, take a look at what we think, uh, what we think the draft prospects for next year, uh, will be for Michigan. Uh, cause I think it's, it's interesting in my just, you know, a, a very, uh, a quick glance at it. Uh, it seems like a lot of, Maybe the guys who you would think of as as the best, uh, having the the highest NFL potential on the roster are are going to be guys who are sort of in that in between of like a third year sophomore who maybe could come out or could mm-hmm. stay, at, you know, as a redshirt junior. Um, you know, you think of a guy like Aiden Hutchinson. You think of yeah. Jalen Mayfield, who you know will be drafted at some point when yeah. he's ready. Uh, maybe not, maybe not quite ready yet, but certainly not yeah. too far away. Who do you think are the guys that uh, that will have the most draft buzz f- for next year on Michigan's team? 
Uh, Mayfield is the guy that I still think has the highest ceiling. And like you said, Austin, I don't know if that ceiling is going to get there next year or, you know, whatever the year after that. Uh, I guess, I guess we, it's funny talking about this stuff in terms of next year or whatever, because we have no idea how yeah. they're going to play. But <laughs> Whenever next, next year Next is, season, yeah. whatever, yeah. right? Let's put it that way. Um, I don't know if it'll if he'll reach it as a junior or a senior. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked, though, uh, you know, as, as Jalen uh, redshirted his – his freshman year, it wouldn't shock me to see him in, in a situation where he has to make a decision, you know, at the end of his third year. Uh, I think he's got a lot of potential. I think that the tape he put up at the end of last season against Ohio State and Alabama, everybody has seen that, um, and everybody will see that at least at some point here w- with all this time on their hands uh, in the league if they haven't already. Um, those were impressive tapes, and then he got he got better every game as the year went on and hung in there on an offensive line that had four draft picks. And was not a weak link. Was one of their, you know, was absolutely right there with everybody else. Um, you know, as a second year player, so I think he's got probably the highest ceiling of anybody. I think he could be a first round pick. Um, I don't know, like like you said, I just don't know when that's going to click in. You know, I think I think it's important, of course, for him now to, you know, find a way to continue to spin that forward and and have the best season he can have uh, next year, and then and sort of let it fall, and then you go from there. Um, you know, obviously Nico Collins, uh, you know, I think it's going to help him, you know, there's probably still competition there next year in terms of the receiver class, but not like this. I mean, it'd be a stretch to see it, you know, be anything like this. This was, uh, and that's the thing for a guy like Donovan, as you look at it and you say, man, I, I don't, you know, a senior year, you know, regardless of situation, I don't, you know, maybe he was done and wanted to keep going. I don't know, but I mean, another year sometimes, Tough to tough to square just because it gets you out of the rest of that you know that that mix with everybody else and maybe there's a little more breathing room there, so he would be one as well. And then like you said, Aiden Hutchinson's probably the the third one uh, that you think of off the top and say that he'd be another one that would have you know perhaps a decision to make as a guy who's super long who can play any spot on a defensive line in college, which would allow him to be you know an edge player. Um, you know, an end on the, with his hand on the ground in the NFL. You know, a guy would get out and run a little bit. So he's got everything everybody wants as well. Hutchinson and Mayfield are the two guys. Um, I think that you know could, the younger guys that are non-seniors that could have a lot of buzz. And then Nico would certainly be the top uh, top senior. Ambry Thomas, maybe you know, a guy like that who's um, you know certainly speedy. The thing of it is, though, is you know, do we think that they're going to have ten draft picks in next year's class? I'm not sure if I think they're going to have 10 draft picks. Um, so, you know, I don't know. What does that say about, you know, the overall talent level of the team? I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, it's going to have to be something where we've talked about this too. There's going to be a, a lot of guys who it's getting, you know, getting time to hear from where it's like, we haven't heard from you yet. It's, it's in year three and we haven't heard anything. It's time to go now. So there's going to be a lot of guys like that. Um, and then a lot of guys, you know, like a, you know, another one that people have asked me about is Cameron McGrone. Um, I still think he's got some, Got some work to do. Uh, I, I like him a lot, um, a lot, a lot, but I still think he's got more work to do in terms of, you know, putting together, you know, a full season, you know, after that freshman year of tape, um, or retro freshman year, I should say, uh, as he goes forward. But um, there's plenty of good ones, but also a lot of question marks. Uh, a lot of guys are going to have to step forward and, and sort of make something happen here now uh, as things go off. Another one, Brad Hawkins. Austin. Mm, yeah. We talked about Brad Hawkins a lot as a guy who I wondered during the year if he maybe he would have tested um, the draft and he got hurt, so he he'll be back. But um, he's another one that I would I wouldn't be shocked to see go off somewhere. Yeah, to your point, 
I don't see 10 draft picks right now on this roster uh, of guys who are going to get drafted. Yeah, I did last year at this time, year. though. Yeah, yeah right. right. Mm-hmm. Maybe if everybody, yeah. you know, if everybody develops and everybody who can come out comes out, maybe you get to 10. But uh, right now, it, you know, there's, there's a lot that has to happen to get there. And I think the other thing that that underscores is there's some there's some significant rebuilding now that has to be done. Yeah. You know, you lose ten NFL players off your roster plus two or three guys who are, are probably gonna be in NFL training camps. Uh that you know, that's that's some heavy lifting that's gonna have to happen. So uh, yeah, the offensive line for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that and, and they did such a great job Ed Werner did with turning that whole thing around. Um, you know, but they do have depth. Uh, they're gonna have to ask some guys to to really take a leap now uh maybe some guys that are in their second year uh so it's better than it's been but you know that's uh, that's certainly one losing four is tough anytime but i mean four draft picks i mean my goodness i mean that was again we talked about at the very top of the show here you can't look at this thing any other way than than squaring it as they underachieved last year i mean there's just no other way to look at it i mean they had a brutal schedule of course but you know that team was better than you know what was it four losses whatever I mean that mm-hmm. team was better than that yeah. Um, yeah so you know that's that's going to be tough to uh, to ignore. All right, folks. Thank you for checking out the podcast. This has been a fun distraction to uh, talk about a little bit of real sports. Uh, a nice little interlude uh, amid our uh, our long quarantine here. So uh, who knows where we go from here? Uh, but we'll find uh, we'll find something to talk about. Uh, thanks for checking out all our work at the Athletic. I believe the ninety day free. Sp- uh, free trial is still running so mm-hmm. if you so. if you do not subscribe it'd be a good time to do that uh, check out all the draft coverage and we certainly will find other ways to keep you occupied and entertained as we move forward so uh, again thanks for checking out the podcast and we'll be back to talk to you soon there will always be a place for you